Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Today, we're going to talk about energy education. Now, this is a subject we've talked about in the past, uh, a subject I don't think we can talk about too much, so we're in no danger of uh, beating it to death. Uh, But we're going to do it from a different perspective today. We're going to do it from the perspective uh, of a student who has, uh, by her own statement, benefited a lot from some of our educational resources at SCIP. So I think uh, it's a really exciting story in and of itself, and then I think there are a lot of lessons to draw about our, how our educational system treats energy, what we can do to change things, uh, what you can do to become more educated, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the student um, whom I met, uh, she'll tell you more about the story, I met last year, uh, late 2012 at the University of Wisconsin when I was debating a scientist there on oil. His name was Dr. Dino Rest, and she was a student in the audience, and uh, she became familiar with us through that, and over the last year has, has become uh, one of the most active participants in CIP and now uh, actually uh, works with us in a, in a part-time uh, capacity. But uh, she also is a student and works in the oil industry, so she'll tell you about that. But I think it's, it's a great illustration of what happens when the right ideas meet the right person and motivation for making sure that the right ideas meet uh, the right people. So um, I'll introduce Karen Connors, who's now a senior at the University of Wisconsin at Madison in mechanical engineering and has also worked in the oil industry, um, primarily in the refining component. Aaron, welcome to Power Hour. Thank you. So, well, let's. I mentioned. I mentioned uh, last last year uh, meeting you. You know, I, I was on stage in, in this debate. So, from you know, from my perspective, you were one of the students who came up at the end, and, and we chatted a little bit. Then, what was what was your mindset on oil coming into into the debate? How, how would you regard your view on oil? Just just tell us a little bit about your background. Um, all right. Well. In terms of my background, I guess I'm from um, Minnesota, so have never, um, until my internships at a refinery, had never seen a refinery. We don't, like it wasn't a present, um, wasn't present in my life at all. So I basically, until I started working there, had no idea what a refinery was and really um, how important it was. And then through working there um, a couple months as an intern, was able to really see how important the um really how important the oil industry was and how important all the products were. So going into the debate, I had, um, I guess I would say my mindset could be best defined as knowing that oil was important, but not really thinking that it was completely essential in the fact that I still thought, oh, well, oil seems important, but on one hand, you hear arguments all the time that it's destroying the environment. 
and it's not environmentally friendly and not sustainable. So I had no answers for that, but I just knew that I guess I couldn't really correlate what I knew to the environmentalist argument. Yeah, and this is this is a a view that that we hear a lot in the you know, when I work with businesses. It's on in the culture, particularly when I work with businesses. It's there's this view on the one hand, it's necessary, but on the other hand, it can't be necessary. So it's it's like it's necessary. But it's evil. So there's this this term, necessary evil, which is, is an interesting term, but it has a basic contradiction because you're saying, well, we need to do it, which means it's ultimately right to do it. If we really need to do it. It's the right thing to do, but it's it's uh, it's wrong to do. So maybe we'll uh, we'll revisit that. Okay. So you know that that was your viewpoint. What would you describe as the viewpoint of of most of your your classmates? Because you had I think you call it the benefit of working in an oil refinery being exposed to the industry. I imagine most of your friends and, and, and classmates did not have anywhere near that, that experience even. Yeah, definitely not. It's not super common for anyone um, from Wisconsin and from the North. And I think thinking back to it, it's just out of sight, out of mind. So no one really has any idea. They know the industry exists. They don't know much about it. And what they hear about it from the media and from their classes is that it's not good. And I think that saying that most of my classmates and peers think that the oil industry is evil is a very accurate statement. So when you first started working in the refinery, you're coming in from the perspective of somebody who has probably absorbed some of the ideas in the culture, but certainly doesn't have a knowledge of its importance or anywhere near the knowledge of its full importance in, in daily life. Uh, what did your, what did your coworkers say to you to, to influence you or, or did they say anything to influence you or was it just a matter of you saw what they were do- You saw what the refinery was doing and that, that was the thing that made the impression on you. I think it was a little bit of both. And I guess I would say in terms of my background, I had always, um, been really fascinated with the energy industry, but in high school, learning about it, I'd always thought that I would um, like to one day work in solar energy or wind energy. And so, if anything, I was. Wait, so why were you? Why were you? I'm curious about that because I had the opposite experience. I was never fascinated by or interested in the ener- interested in the energy industry until much later, uh, I think until I was older than you are now. So what? Why would you be, especially coming from Minnesota, why would you always be interested in or fascinated by the energy industry of all industries? I <laughs> I don't know when the fascination began, but it always just seemed, I think, having kind of more of scientific background and knowing that energy is so essential to everything we do and having access to that energy and then in terms of um, when I was growing up and in high school, I mean, even today, you're always reading about solar energy and wind energy, and regardless of how the technologies work, they are very exciting technologies, as are most of the technologies in energy industry. So I think that's the thing that um, fascinated me the most was just seeing how people were trying to get at energy. Um, but I, I guess in high school, they don't, <laughs> no one talks about how how a refinery helps to do. Um, produce energy. They talk about a solar power plant or a wind farm. So I had a very skewed perspective. Um, 
heading down south. But they're really talking about that a lot. I don't even, I mean, I remember in high school, granted it's a different generation, but I remember more of the alarmist portion of it. So this is destroying the planet, it's been proven, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I don't remember much, and I went to a, a math science-centric high school, I don't remember much about talking about the technologies or either power plant or just it was off the radar. Were they really talking about energy that much in school? I think it was more the classes that I um, took as electives, but I, I mean, I took both an environmental studies course and environmental sciences, so regardless of how similar or dissimilar those are, there was definitely um, a focus on it for portions of the course. But, I mean, other activities were writing, you know, I remember studying, like, uh, ANWR and um, collecting plants. So definitely wasn't the focus of the course, but was part of the coursework and was talked about. Okay, well, then that, but that, that, that surprises me less. And it's interesting, so because the the two classes you named have more environmental in them. So, and the, you said they're electives, that means you chose them. So, what what made you choose those environmental classes? It was the belief that um, knowing that energy was going to be such a big issue in the future, and having enough energy to go around. And also coupling that with the fact that our current forms of energy, essentially oil and coal, are in effect destroying the planet. So how can we, I guess, my view then was bring together both the environmental aspect and also the energy aspect, which um, now I have a completely different view on that. But that's what my view was six years ago, which is how I ended up in those courses. Was there anyone in your, either your classmates or particularly teachers who, who challenged that? No. So when, I mean, when were you first exposed to any kind of different, different view, even, even maybe not, not maybe as different as the CIP view, but, but any kind of challenge to the orthodoxy? I can't remember specifically, but it, it most likely was uh, interviewing to work in the oil industry or my first day at the refinery. So not something, there is definitely not a lot of challenge in terms of what I received in high school and even the first, um, what you hear talked about on college. It's very much with, I mean, pro the environmentalist movement. So it really wasn't until I got down um, into Texas, started working, starting talking with um, I, I mean, everyone I worked with uh, really was so much more knowledgeable about the industry than I was, and especially about everything um, that the industry produces. So then, as a, you're, you're coming in into the industry, just to sort of circle back with the wider context now, you're, you're, you're coming into the industry uh, having been taught with uniformity that you know, the oil industry is destroying the planet. I mean, how did you feel about working there? Honestly, when I um, decided to accept the job, I just was looking at it more as an adventure. I had never been to Texas. I thought it would be interesting. I had no idea how I would like the work at the refinery, but 
Um, initially, it seemed just a good gateway into the energy industry, um, and which is why I ended up accepting the position. And only once I got there and started working, I realized how much I enjoyed it, uh, much more than I expected. So one, one interesting aspect of this that I think is, is common is that, on the one hand, you're given this very strong moral position and, and a, a, very, a very large magnitude about destroying the planet, inconvenient truth, etc. But it doesn't seem like in practice, for a lot of people anyway, that even if it's all they've ever been exposed to, this, they take it all that seriously. Because if, if you were offered a summer internship, say, you know, you're interested in pharmaceuticals or, or um, yeah, pharmaceuticals, and then somebody says, well, I actually have an, a, an internship for you at the cocaine factory, and you'll get to go to Texas, so, you know, maybe that'll be an adventure, too. Presumably, you wouldn't take it, or you wouldn't take it with, without a lot of guilt. So what, how did it stand in your mind that, that you could be taught this very negative view, and yet it didn't seem to have that much on you, not as much as you might think. I think it's because the negative view is... I think there's the tame, more mellow version of it, and then there's the extremist version of it, and as soon as you get into that... Um, get, I guess, a little bit more taste of that extreme environmentalism, it really starts to stand out to you as um, something that's not as realistic, and I think that's something that uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin have plenty of, and which has mostly been my exposure to it. And so going down, I guess I wasn't um, super excited to be working in the oil industry. I was very excited to be working in the energy industry. At the same time, I knew that I used a lot of oil products. I had no idea how many I used, but I'm very fond of driving, so I knew it was an important industry, And um, but yeah, I guess the environmentalists that destroying the planet didn't hold that much sway over my decision at the time. You used an interesting word, which was realistic. Um, what do you mean you didn't think that the environmentalists were realistic? I think um, there are the arguments that they make have a lot of this a very wide range in terms of magnitudes of destruction that would be possible. So, um, and some are much more easy to wrap your head around and say, okay, I could see how that could be logical, um, especially if that's the entire your entire educational. Um, your entire education has been backed up with that view. Whereas others, I think, more or less just jump out to you and you, um, and don't seem quite nearly as realistic and plausible. And that, to me, um, is what really makes, makes it much less more power. Like, it's just not as powerful if it's a bunch of ridiculous statements that could never amount to anything. Um, but you're you're talking about yourself pre uh pre you know being exposed to something substantially different pre working in the industry, so still some of the stuff struck you as ridiculous 
Yes. So what would be an example of that? Um, I think a lot of, I think it was a lot of how my teachers would frame certain issues and I'm trying to remember back to high school. Um, I think one thing would be, you know, having to watch an inconvenient truth in high school. That just doesn't quite all add up as easily as, um, some make it seem, I guess, as it does to some people. To me, it stood out more. So things like that just didn't, um, you can, I was, I guess, very much aware that it was a one-sided argument during high school. And I, I had no idea what the other side was, but it seemed very much like it wasn't the full picture. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting that um, people, I mean, because if you take the inconvenient truth seriously and the implications of it seriously, it's this, I mean, it's this call for, for massive sacrifice. And it, it, I guess let's put it this way. It's one thing. I think people often don't take words very seriously. So if you hear like, "Oh yeah, fossil fuels are destroying the planet," if that, if words mean anything, you better start doing something about it right now. I mean, it would be like saying, um, "You know, Joe is destroying your house." Well, you wouldn't just move on to the next subject. Or say, yeah, maybe I'll do something about that someday. It would it would have this urgency, and the the theory has this urgency, and the taking of the moral high ground is substantially based on this urgency. But it's in a sense, it's not really meant to be taken seriously. It's meant to be taken as an ideal. It's meant to be used to justify whatever, but it's not meant as as something that everyone is expected to believe. And indeed. You ha when you talk about the extremists and the moderates, there's this idea that, well, you don't have to be really consistent. And in fact, the people who are consistent, they're, they're idealists and they're right in a fundamental way. But, you know, of course, we can't do all that. And thus, thus it can be portrayed as, well, all you have to do is drive a Prius. And so, I mean, how did it, given what you had been educated about or miseducated about with the environment, what did you feel was incumbent upon you as an individual in terms of your own behavior. You mean coming out of high school, I guess? Or before? Yeah. Going? I mean, I think... Yeah, coming out of high school. And I think I talked about this a little bit, but just I really wanted to do something that would actually help the environment. And that was a huge um, motivation for just energy seemed to be cutting edge. Solar and wind um, seemed cutting edge, actually have been around for quite a while, and um, but I didn't know that then. So that was the big motivation. And then, um, but going down to work and working at the refinery, I guess that's when things kind of didn't start, well, didn't add up as easily for me anymore in terms of actually we use a ton of these products and these are really beneficial products. I mean, and obviously it's much more than just gasoline or diesel or jet fuel. And so, and I think another thing that came from working at the refinery and also kind of hearing these extremist views in high school was that, I mean, I had never met anyone from Texas, but I 
I don't know what I was expecting, but it definitely wasn't working with the type of operators and other engineers that I was working with because these were all really great individuals. And so hearing that the oil industry is evil and ruining the planet and then going down and meeting all the people who work in the industry, that I think also just, I was just shocked by that. I was like, well, these people aren't, can't seriously be destroying the planet. Like these are really great individuals and I um, enjoyed working with all of them. So I think just how, I mean, yeah, I mean, it just didn't make sense, I guess, after leaving the refinery. Yeah, I think this will keep coming up, but I think it starts to show the importance of an unrefuted argument or an unchallenged premise. Because certainly meeting people who work in the oil industry, particularly the more experienced people, they don't have the vitriolic hatred or, or contempt that you would think would be implied by their view that it's destroying the planet. And yet they don't really have an answer to it. And in some ways they believe it and they'll say things such as, well, we're, we need to ultimately transition to a low carbon future. It'll just take a while. Um, but they, there is this acceptance of that view and, and this concession of that view, even though in their own in their own mental life and emotional life, it doesn't have that much power in terms of their behavior. I mean, they are choosing to drill for new oil all the time. They're choosing to work at the refinery uh, every day. And I think this is, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You were, you know, you coming into that debate were, you know, of the, you didn't have an answer to that argument. And, and, you can talk about whether it bothered you to any extent, but you know you had this whole new reality of you worked in this industry, you saw it was important. So the idea of it being immoral doesn't resonate with most people in the industry, but that's they can still concede it. They can still concede it and they can believe it in a certain way. How did it? How did it stand in your mind the idea that the industry was immoral once you got? experienced with it. Well, I think one important thing about this is that most people um, who work in the industry are surrounded by individuals who at least are familiar with the industry and have also, I mean, if not work in the industry, worked in supporting fields. So if you go to Texas, I mean, tons of people have jobs in the industry and then in supporting industries, and everyone's very familiar with the idea of the oil and gas industry and you see refineries everywhere. So it's very common to them. And so I think, um, at least where I was, that they didn't realize that people really, really thought the oil industry was bad because that's not, wasn't in their background. So, but then it, when you transition between, um, I guess, really the North and the South, the North has no idea what the oil industry is, no appreciation, and really thinks that it's, an evil industry. Whereas in the South, they know the oil industry is good. They appreciate it. They Everyone knows a lot of people who work in the industry. And so it's easy to say like, oh yeah, it may not be the best, but it's good and it's fine and we're going to continue to work there. Whereas it's much easier in the North to just say, no, let's just shut it down because they don't even know what they're they're trying to shut down. Most of these people have never seen a refinery, wouldn't even 
recognize one if they saw one. So I think that's the biggest, and I mean, that's what made the contrast so striking to me was just going down um, to Texas and then coming back to Wisconsin and seeing the reaction of um, a lot of peers and people that I um, go to school with and then trying to, they're just so different from what the reaction was in Texas. Yeah, that, I think that that raises a lot of of interesting issues. It certainly reminds issues. It, it certainly reminds me of my own experience when I grew up in it's not exactly the north or the south, but in in Maryland in the DC metro area. And certainly, you know, we had no energy production around there, and it, it wasn't something that I knew in any concrete way. And as I mentioned before, we hardly ever discussed energy. Certainly not its its centrality to our lives. There's just the idea vaguely of Oh, gasoline prices go up, and even then, gasoline was you know dollar a gallon. So it was, it was that didn't even come to the fore. I mean, it might have come up a little bit during the first Iraq War when I was like, eleven or so or twelve. Um, but yeah, there's there's a general idea where it's easy to demonize. It's much easier to demonize people and institutions that you are distant from, assuming that there that there's a lot of good to them. If there's a lot of bad to them, it's probably easier to demonize them if you're there. Although even there, you, you get a certain understanding of how they work. And it's not just sort of on the level of, oh, they chose to do something bad in this, in this uh, super simple way. There's usually, even if there's immorality, um, always in his immorality, there's a certain complexity to it, and there's, there's lots to say about how how immorality works. But nevertheless, uh, it's easy for people to just talk about, oh, those evil, that evil coal industry, oh, that evil oil industry, um, when they're distant from it. You know, when they're in Houston, even, and they have a lot of friends in it, I think it's a lot more difficult. When I when I visit uh, Calgary, Alberta. You don't hear that that much now. I'm not exactly interacting with everyone, but I interact with a good number of people, and I uh, I don't hear that that much, except for except for certain activists. The challenge, though, is that these areas that are that most need of the education and the experience don't have the experience, as you mentioned, and they don't seek the education. So it's not as if the Wisconsin school system. Uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison is desperately seeking, you know, the opportunity to, to give people a very concrete idea about the role of the oil industry in their lives and why it has such a big role. They seem determined to make that role as sort of poorly understood and as easily demonizable as possible. Mm-hmm. So. All right, so let's 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 circle back to the original thing, the the original situation. So you're uh, you're at the, you're at the debate. So people, maybe listeners of Power, have heard this debate. If if you haven't, you can you can go back to an earlier episode. It's probably in the 30s or so, and you can listen to that debate. But um, what what were you? Sort of give us give us the initial play by play. How did you hear about it? What were you looking forward to? What were you expecting? What happened? I guess um, yeah, I saw a flyer on campus, and what really caught my eye was um, the argument that you were making was that it was a healthy choice, which I had never um, even 
thought of oil as a choice. It always, um, and I think, I don't think a lot of people do think of oil as a choice. It's just, I mean, a lot of uh, my peers' minds, it's has an unfair advantage and there's no competition and we just have to use oil. That's, that's the only thing, but it could be, it could be very different. So that's um, really where I was coming from in terms of the choice issue. And I, um, yeah, I guess I saw a flyer and decided to attend the debate, which was pretty uncommon for me, at least. I don't typically go to a lot of um, school events, or I guess events hosted by other groups that I'm not involved with. So I um, yeah, went to the debate, and I guess I was just curious. I had never heard of um, CIP or of you, so it was really, I had no idea what I, what I was going to get. So, what did you get? I mean, I, I was there, but from a different vantage point. I think it was, first of all, really refreshing hearing um, the viewpoint that you took during the debate. And it's just so, I'm so used to being if not outright criticized, at least looked down upon for working in the oil industry. So hearing that a completely different view on campus was not what I was expecting at all. And then not only was it a different view, but the positive moral case for fossil fuels and that it really is a healthy choice. And that um, I think realizing that we do choose, choose to use fossil fuels, it's not just thrust upon us and we have no decision. Um, yeah, and I think it just... It showed me that there was another, there was an argument for it that I had never seen before and didn't realize anyone was making. And so it definitely just, um, I mean, it got me very interested in CIP, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, I think thinking back, a lot of important like topics were discussed, but really it was just such a very like high level overview, um, really of. What, how fossil fuels do help improve the planet. Um, but the one that stuck out to me the most was definitely when you differentiated between the environment and the human environment. And I think hearing that argument was what finally made me realize, and this is exactly why the oil industry is so good and does do such productive work, is that it's improving the human environment with everything that it does. And it's not... Um, yeah, and that the human environment really is the only environment that we should care about. Now, what about the... How, I mean, so there, are, there are two people up there. So how did you experience the, the counter-arguments? I didn't think that the counter-arguments were made very well, but it seemed as if there were almost two different debates happening. And I think that's one thing that um, CIP has always very much looked at the big picture and what are the positives and negatives. Whereas um, Dr. Dino Rest was very much looking at small examples that didn't really seem to tie to the points you were making. And so it really was like there were two different conversations happening on stage, I thought. And so what... Um, Dr. Ress was saying didn't resonate with me. 
well. Yeah, that happens too frequently in debates. I don't, I haven't mastered the skill of getting the other person to talk about what I want them to talk about, or even talk about the debate topic. But uh, that's that's mostly that's mostly the subject for the day. So it's interesting how the this distinction of you know environment and and human environment was helpful to you. So. How would that help your your peers in in the oil industry? Because you mentioned that they had you know, similar views to you, and that they have a, a real appreciation of the the importance of it in their life, but can't fully view it as good because they've been taught that it's environmentally bad, and they don't have a a real counter argument, and certainly don't have a, a real alternative. I think that. The, having that viewpoint would be just very helpful for everyone because it really, it's a very clear distinction. And um, once you have it, it's easy to see how the question should always be, is it good for the human environment? And just knowing, always having that premise in mind when you're talking with people and especially when you're talking with um, people who, you know, don't approve of what you do working in the oil industry it's just so easy to see the flaws in how they're thinking and what they're saying. And I guess, and I know it's a problem. Like I, I can distinctly remember a conversation I had with um, one of the operators who was talking about how he didn't really like going to um, events at his kids' schools because a lot of people, even though this is Texas and they're used to it, like it's still not, like people can still be um, very much more towards the extreme side of environmentalism. And he was telling you about a conversation he had with another um, child's mom. And she was just saying, how could you possibly work in this industry and listing just a bucket list of all the supposed things that the oil industry is causing. And his argument was just so simple, but wasn't really powerful enough because he was like, Listen, every day your son drinks milk. He drinks it out of a milk carton that's coated with oil. But, and that is, like, in fact, helping him. And it's making it easier for him to drink milk. Otherwise, it wouldn't uh, stay very well in the carton. And so something even that simple, just knowing that it's helping get your son milk. But he doesn't have that. All he can say is it's made of oil. And so without knowing why it's important that it's made of oil and that making it from oil is really helpful, they just... Like having just the facts at your disposal that a lot of things are made of oil and that you use oil all the time isn't important when you don't think of it as oil is really improving the human environment. If it's because then there's always just another fact that can be countered against the oil industry, I guess. But um, talk a little bit about what happened uh, after that debate because you know at CIP a lot of times. I'm the main person that people see because at this point I do most of the, uh, the public activism. Uh, but you know, you've been behind the scenes in various aspects, and I think learning a lot uh, because it's been a year now. What what has been your experience? What what have been some of the highlights of your experience in the last year in terms of your learning and and any kind of uh, actions or activism you've been involved in? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would say I've been learning a ton. I think after the debate, um, just 
going and looking at a lot of the blog posts and listening to Power Hour and really learning more about, um, really more for the argument uh, was really important. But then I think one of the highlights was, um, I mean, honestly, I think one of the highlights may have just been going back to work after learning all about, um, like working with CIP, learning a lot more about how fossil fuels and how oil really does improve the planet and then going to work and it was just such a different experience. Like I already, I already enjoyed work, but it was a lot more enjoyable and I just realized how much, how important everything um, was. And then talking further with operators and um, other interns about the issues, it was a lot of fun having this, I mean, having a good argument for working in the industry and um, talking with people who are open-minded about it because that's not a typical uh, dinner conversation in Wisconsin. There are not a lot of open-minded people who even want to talk about it. So I think um, that's been a lot of fun. And then also I had a chance to go with CIP to Washington, Washington D.C. for the Light Brigade, which was a lot of um, fun and really... It was, I mean, it was a great learning experience, but also just so horrifying seeing what some people were saying at this rally, and then it just made it seem all the more important to continue learning and to continue really standing up for the oil industry. Just just as context for those who aren't familiar with the Light Brigade, that was our, our response to the one of the anti-fossil fuel uh, rallies focused on anti-Keystone XL pipeline. And, uh, you know, I, I decided to call it the blackout rally because they're anti-coal, anti-oil, anti-gas, and also anti-nuclear and anti-hydro. So it's, it's really they're in favor of, of blackout policies and the, the CO2 issue, um, even though I, I think, um, I mean, to say the least, it's a completely overblown issue, uh, isn't even the real issue for them, development and civilization and, um, you know, human progress are, are the real enemies there. Uh, yeah, so Aaron and, and um, several others joined us there. Uh, we have to wrap up in a couple of minutes, but tell a little bit more about what are the most important things you've learned over the past year since that original debate, and, and how have you learned them? I guess... I mean, I still think, um, I think the most important for me, as I already mentioned, was learning the difference between the human environment and just the environment. And then really, um, I've been able to come to the talent factory group that you put on with a lot of um, other individuals. And really going to that group, I think the thing that's helped me most is to realize that a lot of the questions that are being asked and that we're being asked and I'm being asked in classes that I'm taking now. I'm taking a power plant technology course and a solar energy technology course. And just even the questions that they're asking students about energy are just wrong. They're just not right. And they've already biased the entire class by asking a, just a question that is completely against um, oil 
oil industry or the coal industry. And it's so much easier to see that now, whereas before I would have just accepted when someone asked a question. Um, last week, one of my professors asked, so what's the problem with fracking? As if inherently hydraulic fracturing <laughs> has a problem, of course. And so, I mean, I, I tried to answer it. I was like, well, I don't, I don't really know if there's a problem with fracking. I think it's been really great. But he's like, no, no, no. But what's, you know, pushing me to say what the problem was? And it's, I mean, it's hard to have a conversation um, when you're on that premise that it's already problematic and not good. And so I think it's just been much more apparent um, now how many of the conversations that I have are like that. And well, I guess... That's great. And I, I think that's one of the, it's, it's almost counterintuitive that there's such a thing as a bad question because questions are so fundamental to, to gaining knowledge. But if you think of knowledge as a, as a sequence that you're, you're a context that you're building up and up and up, each question is coming from a context and is asking what the next step is. And so if you, if you're, you can always start and often start from a false context. So you can say, well, what's, you know, what's wrong with fracking? Obviously there's a context of, okay, there's a bunch of different things wrong with this. Obviously there's, obviously there are many things involved, but what, what do you think is the biggest? And I, in these situations tend to just, I'm pretty brutal in terms of asking counter questions that they will realize the fallacy of their question. So it's just like, well, what's the, uh, what do you think is the biggest similarity between you and Adolf Hitler? Well, that's a loaded question. Well, you don't like being asked it yourself. Don't ask it about other people uh, unless you've established it. And, uh, of course, if you're an environmentalist and you know the history of environmentalism, it's inconvenient, but the inconvenient for you, although convenient for humanity to know that the, you know, um, sort of the, the most represented group proportionally in the Nazi party was the Green Corps. Incredibly, incredibly represented, which you can learn about in Merchants of Despair by Robert Zubrin and The Ominous Parallels by uh, Leonard Peikoff. So we, we have to start uh, wrapping up, but Aaron, what what final thoughts do you have uh, for listeners about any of this stuff, about energy education, what they can do themselves, or maybe what you think needs to happen in the industry, since that's very close to home for you? I guess in terms of energy education, I think that people who work in any energy industry really need to go and... Um, learn more about the industry and what it's doing. And I'm, I mean, not just the oil industry. Um, one of my classes has a lot of nuclear engineers in it. And there's just this huge disconnect from what, I mean, what having nuclear power enables us to do as humans, and then the arguments that they're trying to make for nuclear power. And so I think really learning more about the benefits of having energy and then having cheap plentiful and reliable energy is very important for everyone. Um, and I hope, I mean, I guess I hope that all my um, peers would do that at school, but I hope that they also do that in industry as well, because it will, I mean, it makes working much more enjoyable, I think, and it also makes it so much easier to stand up to a lot of the criticism that you get from working in such a, I guess, unfortunately, charged and in charged industry as the fossil fuel industry. And where should they go? What's the number one source for that category of information? 
number one source center for industrial progress. But I think, <laughs> I think, um, for the oil industry, the oil champion kit is definitely the number one source and it's aggregated a ton of information. Um, and I think that I don't think we've mentioned that. I'll mention that a little bit uh, when I close later on. But uh, yeah, you can check it out if, if, if see what she's mentioning now. It's something we've been putting together for the past month or two to try to to try in a more decentralized way to create more errands, so to speak, because uh, you know we only have so much bandwidth. But it's, it's sort of putting together all the resources that that from experience we know make the most impact, the fastest impact, and something we've launched recently and and will hopefully be. Uh, taken up by a lot of people, particularly in in the oil industry. So you can check that out at industrialprogress.com slash oil champion. Aaron, uh, thanks for joining us. Is there any way, I usually ask people that we don't usually have students on, where can people learn more about you and your work if you want them to? Um, I guess they could learn more about my work. I have a couple, or an article on Center for Industrial Progress's blog, but other than that... um, and a new one in the newsletter. So go and, to yeah. industrialprocess.com slash movement. That's true. All right. Well, anything that directs people there, I'm in favor of. Aaron, uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Aaron Connors for being on the show. Um, I think we covered most of what I wanted to cover during that show, it's always interesting to hear about somebody's uh, concrete experiences. We all have, have our own, you know, our own paths in terms of our, our energy education journey. Uh, but I think there are a lot of parallels among all of our paths, and in particular, the exposure to and often absorption of the, the dominant moral environmental narrative on on fossil fuels is is way way up there, and. Uh, I'm happy that Aaron mentioned the issue of the human environment versus the environment, which is usually a stand-in for the non-human environment, for an opposition to the human environment. And, and that's such an important distinction because if you if you think about environment from a human perspective and you look at the world around you, you think about, is the use of fossil fuels overall making this better or worse? It's, it just jumps out of you. It's, it's better. But if, if you don't have the right... If you're not looking at the right place, really, if you're not, if you're excluding all the human benefits and you're just talking about the environment in this vague sense, and then, you know, you're taught to only look for, for negative, then it can seem like, oh yeah, we're destroying the planet, or at least we're harming it. And it seems more plausible, these, these future doomsday uh, predictions, or when they point to something negative and the weather or something, it seems plausible. Yeah, fossil fuels probably their significant share of the blame uh, for that. So that's just one of, of many distinctions that, that we stress, but I think it, it's a good one. And as she mentioned, uh, there is now the oil champion kit. Make sure to check out that, see all the different things that it's loaded with at industrialprogress.com slash oil champion. And, and it is deliberately called the oil champion kit because of the oil champion kit, I should say, uh, because we don't just want defenders of industry. We want we want champions of industry. Uh, the opponents of industry have a lot of passion, even if it's misdirected, and they have a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm, at least a sort of enthusiasm. And that needs to be countered by the people with the truth need to have that much more of it 
in defense of the truth. It can't just be muted. It can't just be reactive. It has to be. It has to be uh, enthusiastic. So it's been exciting to see uh, Aaron and others, many others, many many of you have emailed me and and um, you know most mostly through email. Some of you I've gotten the chance to meet in person to see how many more energy champions we've been able to make, and we're, we're going to make a lot more, a lot more in the next year. Uh, and particularly if you're an industry, check out the oil champion kit. Uh, feel free to contact me if you have any questions about it, any questions about mass distributing it. And with that, I'll, I'll do my usual close. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, email me at alex at industrialprogress.net. Next week, we will be back with another great topic, another great guest. But until then, I'm Alex Repstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.